Good morning. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14. They gave me 14 to 17a, but I think I might go to b today. Um, So Ephesians chapter 3. Verse 14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. So the main thing that I've been, uh, that's been burning in my heart, I've been burdened with this week and the last probably two or three weeks since I knew uh, that I would be preaching on this passage is um, for you to know how much the Father loves you so that you would be strengthened in your inner being with the power of His Holy Spirit. No matter what happens this week or next week or later on in your life, no matter what you're facing, I pray that you'd be strengthened uh, in your inner being with the fact that the Father loves His children more than we could ever know. Um, Love changes you. It transforms you. Those of you who are married know this. Those of you with... uh, Significant others know this. Um, It changes how you dress. It changes how you act. It changes lots of things. I used to have these sweet pair of bullhorns that I got uh, in college when I first got here um, at the University of Tennessee, and I went to Cherokee, and I got these. They were awesome bullhorns. I always wanted bullhorns, and I had them on my wall and in my dorm room, and those have been replaced with family pictures. Um, mysteriously, those bullhorns, I don't know, I think they were sold in a garage sale for $5. I'm not sure. But my dorm room also had black cloth all over the walls and the ceiling with black lights. I stapled this cloth on there. and It was awesome. And the temperature was like 55 degrees all year round. And But now I have more soothing colors. And... I sweat at night sometimes. <laughs> Samurai sword sticks, you know, hanging on the wall, have been replaced with wreaths and flowers and pillows. I really don't know what they're for. <laughs> but the point is, is that my, quote, ideal home with the bullhorns and the black walls and the samurai swords has been transformed into a home of love and warmth because of the love of my wife. And so, husbands, you know this. Your wife will transform. They transform how you dress. I, one of our first dates, I had a pair of like olive, I think they were olive green pants. And I had a mint green shirt that I got at the polo store for five bucks and pigeon fours and I mean, I thought green goes with green. I didn't know that mint green doesn't go with olive green. And I topped it off with a 
pretty cool looking. Um, had this black canvas duster, and it was real long. <laughs> and I had the leg loops because my Jeep, of course, didn't have doors or a roof, so you had these leg loops that you could snap so your it would stay down. And it was pretty legit. Um, and I've been uh, and I have been made fun of this particular outfit for the last 25 years. But I know how to dress now, for the most part. Why? Because of the transforming power of love. Love will transform how you live. It will transform how you dress. It transforms how you act. It transforms your care for others. Because just a small example, I thought $2 was a good tip for everybody. Whether it was a $150 bill or a $5 bill, my tip was 2 bucks. I thought that was a standard but I came to find out that that's not really very nice. And how did I know that? From the transforming power of my wife. Um, I used to, everything was like, a, I do everything like a sledgehammer. And so one time we were out on a date and, and she had a, a dress on and I was like, oh, I'll be... Um, chivalrous and so I picked her up you know I was going to impress her I was going to put her in my jeep and I banged her head on my roll bar <laughs> now I don't know if the transforming works for the wife because if I did this now I might be sleeping in the garage but back then it was like she was laughing and it was funny but I don't think it'd be funny today <laughs> my wife loves plays I don't particularly like plays we don't have plays in Alaska. She took me to my first play, tried to introduce me to some culture, and I hated it. It was that play, Les, Les Miserable. What? Les Miserable. And I was miserable because the seats were this wide, and, the, you know. But what, what's crazy is all those transformations that love had made in my life were external, but now I actually love the play Les Mis. Why? Because Christ has transformed me and I see the redemption story in Les Mis. And so it's awesome. And so uh, just that transformation of the love of Christ and it's transformed how I view that particular play. I'm not saying all plays, but that one. <laughs> I'm actually thinking deeper now, transformed by my wife's love and God's love. And so love changes us. Love transforms us. And this is what um, Paul is praying for us at the end of chapter 3. He's praying that we understand the love of the Father, that we get this, that we know this. And why is he praying this? Because we're going to be going into chapter 4. And when we get to chapter 4, the first verses, he urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, my motivation in walking out that path is huge. If I am motivated to walk this path worthy of the calling in which I've been called out of duty, it's actually a dishonor to God. But if I do it out of a love for Christ, it is actually very much glorifying Him. And so the motivation for that walking is hugely important. And so this is why Paul prays that we would understand the love of Christ, because that love of Christ is what transforms our hearts. 
And so in verse 14, he says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. For what reason? For this reason. What reason is he speaking of? And he's, what he's speaking of is everything that we've learned previously in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, specifically chapter 2, when he tells us that we were dead in our sins, haters of God, dead, but in God's mercy and grace, he made us alive together with Jesus Christ. We were Gentiles. We were separated from Christ. We had no hope without God in this world. And yet, God in his love sent his son to die for us. Because of Jesus Christ, you once that were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's broken down the wall of hostility between the Jew and Gentile, making us one new man. And he's building his church into a beautiful temple. And so this is the reason that Paul bows down in prayer. And he says, I bow my knee before the Father. Now this is, I think, in our culture... uh, we kind of, it's easy for us to pass over this thought of when he calls God his father. But to the Jewish person who read this, or the Gentile who read this at this time, this would be a very shocking statement to call God your father. This is why the, the Pharisees wanted to kill Jesus, because he said that God was his father. This is the God whose voice is so majestic and so powerful, according to Psalm 29, that it breaks the cedars in half, that his voice shakes the wilderness, that his voice makes the deer give birth. This is the same God who told Moses on Mount Sinai not to let any of the people of Israel to touch or come uh, to touch the mountain or else they would die. This is the God who killed Uzzah in 2 Samuel chapter 6 because he reached out and he touched the ark because he thought it was going to fall in the mud. But because of the work of his son, Jesus Christ, we have been adopted. And he is our father. If your faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ, God is your father. You've been adopted into his family. That is an amazing statement. What I like about this section, in verse 8 especially, where Paul says, Though I am the very least of all the saints. I'm kind of... um, up in the air about sometimes it makes me feel good, sometimes it makes me feel bad because I'm thinking if Paul was one of the least of the saints, where does that make me? But nonetheless, he says, I am the least of the saints, and yet he boldly approaches the Father in prayer. Amazing. We have no right to kneel before God. We've all sinned against him. We've all hated him from birth. But yet in his mercy and his grace the work of his son to those who believe he has made us sons and daughters of the most high God according to chapter 2 verse 19 we are no longer strangers and aliens but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God despite being personally undeserving we who have faith in Christ are sons and daughters of God we now have freedom and confidence, and boldly approaching the throne of grace. This is the, this is the path to spiritual power. Number one, your humility. I don't deserve this. There's nothing I did that made God save me. There was nothing that I did that saved myself. It was wholly a work of God. And yet confident 
that I am his. And so we, we come to him humbly knowing that we don't deserve this. And yet at the same time, we come in confidence knowing that we are his, that we've been adopted by him. And so this is the foundation of gospel power in our hearts. So he prays in verse 16 that according to the riches of his father, of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. So the riches of, of the Father, think about how glorious the Father is. His glory cannot be contained, and his riches, therefore, cannot be contained. His riches canceled our debt. His riches in, in mercy made us alive from the dead. He's praying that Christ may dwell in your heart by faith through the power of the Holy Spirit. What's he saying? He's wanting us to know the love of Christ, not just to know about the love of Christ, but actually to know for Christ to dwell in our hearts, to actually know it, to experience the love of Christ. And so in this prayer, he's, he's praying to the Trinity, he's praying to the Father and the Holy Spirit and the Son, and they're all working together to help us grasp what we cannot grasp. They're working together to help us fathom what we cannot fathom, and that is the love that God has for his children. Why is it so important for us to get this? Why is it so important as Christians to get the love that the Father has for you? Because it's this love that transforms us. By be, we are transformed, according to Second Corinthians, we are transformed by beholding the face of God in the glory of Jesus Christ. By beholding the face of Christ we see the love of Christ. And in that love and in that beholding of Christ, we are being transformed. I need it to walk out chapter 4. I need the love of Christ as my motivation to walk out the calling. That's To walk out, like he says in chapter 4, verse 1, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Love is motivation for my obedience. Not duty, but love. The more I, by the power of the Spirit and the richness of the Father, behold the love of Christ, the more I am transformed. You think about it. We do what we love. We do what we love. You think, we have these, I have these conversations with myself where I think, you know, I try to figure out, okay, why am I doing what I'm doing? I'm thinking, well, because I'm smart. No, I don't say that, but I'm saying because... I, you know, I, I plan this out and I do all this over in my mind, but in actuality, my mind does not control my decisions, it's my passions, my heart. I mean, think about it. You, you, you might not be able to afford a new car. And you're like, you know, I really like that car. I can't afford it. But you go to the dealer and you smell the new car smell and all that. And then before you know it, you're going out there with a new car. That wasn't because you were so smart. It was because the desires of your heart made that decision. And, that, and that's... What I'm saying, we do what we love. When I sin, I, that, what, what that's saying is that I love something more than I love God, plain and simple. That's what happens when I sin. I'm loving that more than I'm loving God. There was a book I read some years ago by Sam Storms. I don't remember the name of it, but it had a profound effect on the way I looked at the gospel. I was still new, trying to understand the gospel. And he had this analogy um, with dirty water. 
And so we're all thirsty. Human beings are thirsty. There's nothing you can do to curb thirst besides drinking something. Thirst is a, is a God-given thing. And so if I had a, a glass of warm, green water, so right now you're not thirsty. And I'd be like, don't drink this water. This is bad for you. You'd be like, yeah, this is bad. No, I won't drink it. But give you a week without water or anything else, I guarantee you you're going to be drinking that water. Did my rules and your knowledge of how harmful this is prevent you from drinking this? No, it didn't. What's the only thing that's going to keep you from drinking the bad water is if I gave you another glass that had sweet tea on ice. Mm. Now you taste this. You will never go back to this. Why? Was it because I said, don't do this? No, it's because I showed you something better. And now all of a sudden, this is much more satisfying and pleasurable than this. And that's what God is saying. My only hope is to have greater pleasure in God himself. How do I get that? How do I transform by beholding the glory of Christ, by seeing his love by seeing that he is greater than all of my sin. That's the only way. Just telling your rules is religion. But having you taste and see that the Lord is good, that's a big difference. Sometimes we're just scraping by, feet barely walking in this Christian life. Paul says it's a fight of faith. Fight of faith. He doesn't say it's a, a breeze of, you know, it's a glorious life of bliss and faith. He says it's a fight of faith. And sometimes we're scraping and we can barely just drag ourselves on. What then? What, what do we need? We need his love. I need to hear the gospel. I, I need to behold the love that he has for me. That's what I need. And this is why Paul is praying this. I know that... Uh, some of you have dealt with very hard things in your life, and everybody in here has dealt with something at one time or another, some harder than others. Um, one of the, just recently I had to deal with one of the hardest things uh, that I've dealt with. Um, so I had, I had a big mastiff we had for nine years, and he, and he was really healthy until about three days um, before the end of his life. So basically I had to, we had to put him down because he had uh, cancer. And um, so I'm, I'm praying, you know, to the Lord. I'm like, God, please just, just take him and sleep because I don't want to have to kill this dog. I mean, it was killing me thinking about that. So I'm, I'm just, I'm praying and God's not taking him in his sleep. And, and I'm like, what? come on, can you, Throw me a bone here or something. No pun intended. And I think we all have experienced that. And I'm praying and I'm praying, like, God, just take him and say, I don't want to, I don't want to have to take him and put him down. This is going to absolutely kill me. And so the day that we had to do it, it was not going to be till later in the day. So we were with him all day. And it was just for me, it was brutal. I, I, I never cried so much. My wife said this. She's known me for 25 years. She's never seen me cry that much. I was boo-hoo. I've been, I was crying for two weeks. So I'm out there 
or that morning, I read uh, somewhere, I can't remember if I was reading in the, in the Bible or in some kind of devotional about how Jesus, our great high priest, knows exactly everything that we've been tempted with. He knows exactly how we feel. So I had this in the back of my mind this whole day, and I'm thinking, what? I don't know if Jesus had a dog. Does he know? How does he know what that feels like to put put down the, uh, the dog? And so I was just I was thinking about this, and I'm out, I'm, I'm I'm digging the 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 hole for his grave, and I mean it's a huge hole. It's like burying an elephant, and his he comes out to to go to the bathroom, and he, he's looking, doesn't see me. I'm behind a tree, just I mean I'm, it was I was horrible, and it was right about that time. This is, this is such the uh, grace of God. I was thinking, you know, Lord, I don't want to, I have to kill him because he's suffering. And my dog is sinning. He's never, dogs don't sin. So I'm killing my, this is the thoughts of mine, I'm killing my sinless dog because he's suffering. And it's like the Holy Spirit prompted me to the word, well, actually I do know what that feels like. <laughs> um, you see, I killed my son, my innocent son, because you were suffering from the curse of sin. I was like, you got me there. <laughs> but it was a merciful thing in that moment. Uh, we're tempted to disbelieve his love. We're tempted to do that. And I'm thinking, and, and I'm thinking, I. I, I killed a dog, but how much more God, how much more agony did God, the father, go through killing his son for a wretch like me? That's where we understand the love of Christ. That's where we understand the love of the father. Now, did it totally take away the pain? No. But it got me contemplating his love. He got me beholding his glory and hope that he would transform my heart. When we are scraping, when I was scraping, what he did in that moment is he strengthened me in my inner being. What mercy and what grace. Because if, if I don't get this, in verse 17b, it says, that when we understand this, we're rooted and grounded in love. Well, at that moment, I was not rooted and grounded in love. I was tossed back and forth. And what did he do? He strengthened me in my inner being and rooted and grounded me in his love. How merciful a father we have. One of my favorite psalms is Psalm 42. And I'd like to just read it. Because here he's, he's struggling we all have at times in our Christian life. He says, as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad, with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. So he's reminiscing. He's like, man, I used to be just so on fire leading this procession, and now it's 
gone. Have you ever, have you ever felt like that? Why are you cast down, O oh, my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me, therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me while they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. His God's love for me is infinitely greater than my lack of faith. God's love for you is infinitely greater than your sin. What a merciful and faithful God we have. Father, who we can boldly approach because of what his son has done for us. He wants us to know his love. He wants us to be rooted and grounded in his love. And so my prayer is for you to know this love and that the overflow of this would come out as we sing to him.